Today, we speak to the third generation of a family that has built one of the largest plumbing supply wholesale businesses in New England and one of the best companies to work for in New Hampshire by empowering employees to think like owners. I'm Matt Mowry, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matt, this is, um, I, I think... I, I think we're in for a treat. Uh, oh, I know is, we are. Uh, well, good. I know you. I know you know that uh, we I, are, and I think we are, and that's exciting. But um, what's cool though is um, that we get to talk. I think we'll we'll end up talking a lot about company culture. Yes. And, and you know, employees, and and essentially, you know, for lack of a better phrase, sort of treating them right, as it were, uh, and and what that means uh, these days, and and um, that's I don't know. To me, that's that's cool because you know, people centric. Um, businesses and, and folks that are, are really, really in tune with with their employees and, and who they are uh, and and what they need to be as a company for them is um, it's kind of the future, you know, because you can't just be some widget mill anymore, you know? No, and you think, uh, I'm not going to steal any of the thunder of our guests. No. But uh, Grand Group Wholesalers has been on our best companies list mm. for several years. Right. And for good reason. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about them is that they are demonstrative of you don't have to be in, you know, the latest cutting edge sexy industry. You know, tech is always thought of like, oh, they're, they're set the standard for company culture with all the new, you know, gadgets and all that. Yeah. They have shown that, um, you know, th- that you can empower people mm-hmm. um, selling, you know, they, they talk about the fact that, you know, we sell things that people can get anywhere. Yeah. And the difference that. <laughs> yeah. that they make is their people. Yeah. So I'm going to stop stealing this. No, from there. I know. It's, it's um, but, and that's, it gets to the heart of it is mm-hmm. that you don't have to spend you know, gobs of money on all the latest benefits and such. Right. Pool tables and ping pong this, tables right, and ice cream know, trucks. And it's really about paying attention <laughs> I mean, to helps, those things that um, matter and are not cost prohibitive, right. which is treating people right Yeah, and empowering them. And that's one of the things I love about our best companies to work for competition mm. is that it shows different models. You know, it's not a cookie cutter competition where it's like, okay, we're checking off the boxes. Do you do all these things? Yeah. No, because um, what works in one company may not work in another. Right. It's about knowing what your employees' needs mm-hmm. are, what empowers them, what engages them, yeah. and and doing those things that make them want to come to work most yeah, days. Often based on the work that you're doing, you know, like right. you said, it's not, you can't just check a box because everybody is different and all the work is different. So we're in currently in process of our best companies to work for competition. Uh, so the May 12th, I believe is our due date. So if people are listening to this and want to get in on that, yeah, they need to have a good to the time website. to do that. And Fill out the, you know, see all the information, the details uh, about best companies to work for and that competition and, um, and get applying, folks. Yeah. You, and no matter how you do in the competition, everyone that participates gets the results of their employee engagement survey. And oh, that is great information to Worth have. its weight in gold, that employee engagement survey. Awesome. Awesome. Well, enough of this. Let's get into the meat. Here we go. 
Our guest this week is Bill Condren. He's the chief executive officer of the Granite Group Wholesalers and the third generation of his family to lead the business. The Granite Group is privately owned HVAC and plumbing distributor with over 55 locations throughout New England, ranked as one of the 25 largest wholesalers in the United States and the 2022 number four best company to work for in New Hampshire by Business NH Magazine. The company distributes plumbing, PVF, HVAC, propane and industrial products to a diverse customer group of mechanical contractors, tradespeople, and builders. The company also operates 16 showrooms under its sink and spout division and has a burgeoning e-business component at thegranitegroup.com. Prior to joining the Granite Group, Bill worked at UBS in New York City in equity research sales. He holds a BA from Georgetown University and participated in the OPM program at Harvard University. He sits on the board of G2 Capital Advisors and is chair of the board of the Nativity School of Worcester in Massachusetts. Bill, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad well, to be here. It's it's our pleasure to have you. Um, we love, and we probably alluded to this in in our uh, uh, you know prior to to your introduction, but we love multi generational family businesses. We also love people centric businesses. Um, the Granite Group is clearly both of those. But before we get too deep into workplace culture and all of this good stuff, would you mind joining us in the Wayback Machine, which Matt brings to every BizCast, um, for a bit of history about the company and just help us uh, to understand what it started out as. We love those stories. And and of course, setting the stage for where we are today and therefore where we're going. Sure. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. And thanks for having me. Really glad it's to be here. It's our pleasure. Um, Thank you. So to tell the story of our, uh, my family's involvement in the business, you go mm-hmm. back to 1971. Um, I grew up in Worcester, Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandfather, my mother's dad, uh, was in a textile business with his two brothers in Worcester. And it was dying as all those businesses were in the mm. late 60s, early 70s. Sure. Um, and he knew he needed to get out and try to find something else. He had a new son-in-law. My mom and dad had just been married. They weren't living in the area. So he had a twin thing. He needed to find a new career and hopefully get his family back to Worcester, bring his daughter and um, obviously the growing family back. So there was a supply house uh, in Worcester called Central Supply um, that he found literally in the classified ads. And at that point knew nothing more than how to flush a toilet. And um, convinced his <laughs> new son-in-law, my dad, uh, to help him structure the deal. They had no money. They had no capital. They had to borrow all, it all from the bank. So with nothing more than a business plan and um, a bank who would support them, they bought a plumbing supply house in Worcester, Mass. in 1971. And that's kind of where it all started. So, wow. Um, and both of them really didn't know the business, learned it. Um, over time, my dad kind of took over and built it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what moved us... He had um, acquired a business in Manchester, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. called Goulet Supply. He became very close with the owner there, a gentleman named Leon Goulet, who didn't have any children, and my dad really became kind of a surrogate son to him. Uh. And that's where, over time, the business kind of shifted to New Hampshire-centric. Sure. Um, headquartered in Manchester, and then over time, it continued to grow. Um, another local uh, family business um, called Capital Plumbing and Heating, headquartered out of Concord, is where uh, we merged with that company back in 1998. And that brought us to the headquarters that we now have on Store Street in Concord. And um, from there, continue to grow the business through um, acquisitions and starting our own, opening our own branches to bring us to where we are today. Nice. And so let's talk about your personal journey through all this. So you grow <laughs> up around this family mm-hmm. business. And so 
tell me about Bill in high school and your decisions that <laughs> not necessarily the path to going into the family business. No, no oh, certainly boy. not. No, 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 no. Matt certainly might not. know something that I don't know yet, and I'm very excited. <laughs> so right now. what Matt may know is, I, 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 so when we were growing up, I'm one of five. Actually, I have four sisters, okay. two older and two younger. I'm right in the middle. It was absolutely terrible growing up. It's fun now, but it wasn't that. Um, so uh, the two older ones told me what to do. The two younger ones didn't listen to me. It was it was a tough time. But it, um, so in growing up, I never thought I'd come into this business. Never ever. Um, and actually, the business started, it was, it was quite small, or smaller, certainly. And my dad had this very strong opinion. He didn't want it to be a family employment agency. And his thought was, which I really admire, his thought was twofold. One, I don't want you to ever feel you have to, mm. right? Like you're pressured to come sure. back to this business, which is sure. not a healthy thing for anyone. But uh, there's also another side to that. He also, just as clearly, didn't want any of us to think we could just come back to it no matter what, mm. like not work hard and don't worry, I have a job waiting sure. for you. So right. it was go do your own thing. And we all did, all five of us did. Um, and then when my dad and I are almost exactly 30 years difference in age, um, and when he was turning 50, I was 20, he came to all of us and said, listen, I need to figure out if any of you have any interest in coming back, because mm. if not, I'm gonna, we have to figure out the future of this. Right. And if you do, I need to do it now, not 15 years from now. So. <laughs> Again, now mind you, I'm 20 years old. Oh my God. Yeah, that's not too heavy a conversation well, that, for a 20 yeah, year old. Right. Totally. Yeah. Well, you're 20 and your dad's like, would you have it? And I'm like, selling know. toilets in Concord, New Hampshire? No way. Right. Like, I'm not doing this, right? Uh, I'm struggling enough to be cool. That's not going to help me at all. So um, I went and did my own thing. I went, I was a volunteer school teacher for a year in New Orleans. Um, then I worked in New York City for a couple of years and then thought about coming back to New England, which mm-hmm. is really the draw, the first draw. And looked at a lot of different options, um, one including the company. Uh, and I, I tell a story. My dad was visiting New York um, with my mom for some family stuff, for a family party. And he and I went to talk about possibly coming back to work in the family business. And we talked. You know, he said, listen, you start in a warehouse and work your way up. If it works, you'll eventually be able to possibly run a branch. And here's the salary. And here's what it would look like. And I said, you know, Dad, that's great, but I want you to understand something. You know, I, I'm not signing a lifetime contract here. If I'm, if I want to, I can do other things. And I can move on if I don't like it. Mm. And my dad looked at me. He said, "Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm not offering you a lifetime contract." <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, I'm glad we already got salary out of the way before we had that conversation." So um, I, 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 so I came back into the business in 2000. I was actually on an order picker, uh, putting away stainless steel sinks uh, on September 11th when I heard the mm. towers, the plane hit the towers. So that's about that was my second week back, um, and now. 20 plus years later, um, have been back. And it was the best decision, both personally and professionally, I ever made um, because I've come to love the business and understand it so much more and appreciate it. Now I know because I was there 20 plus years ago thinking this is an industry. And I grew up in it, to your point, Matt. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know it or appreciate or understand it. So I realize that we have some explaining to do and some selling to do. But once we can expose people to this business and this industry, it's really filled with incredible people and incredible customers and a lot of opportunity. Yeah. So you, um, I think that something that's sort of at the core of this and that I've heard you, you know, say in some interviews is that you don't make anything, mm. right? Uh, you're, you're a wholesale distributor, right? So y- y- it's not glam, it's not glitz and glam, it's not flashy necessarily. But um, so what is then the differentiator? Yeah. Um, when we do orientation, when you come to our company, mm. uh, if you're a new member of our team, we do orientation, which is, you know, walk through, meet everybody. Um, and I will say, listen, if you think you came to work for a wholesaler, you're in the wrong room. 
because wholesalers extend credit and move boxes. Mm. We are in the service business. So we are laser focused on the service we provide. And if you're in the service business, and this sounds like you know HR talk, it's really not. Everything, so the other fact of our business, everything we sell, literally everything, is available usually within a five-mile radius, often for less money, right? <laughs> a, a brutal business model, terrible. You're either born into it or stupid. I happen to be both, right? So, oh but, but if that is your model, and it is, then your service must really be what differentiates you. Yeah. And if it's your service, mm-hmm. then it's got to be about your people. So mm-hmm. everything we do, our entire focus is on that, is on our people, because they're the differentiator. And again, it is real, because the to your point earlier, the widgets that we sell, you can buy elsewhere. Mm. We're not making anything proprietary. We don't have a big R&D spend where right. we're making something really unique. Then therefore, why do people choose to buy products from you, it has to be the service they're getting. And if it's service, then it's completely people-centric. And that's part of the discussion we really want to delve into mm. is, is culture, because you've really taken it seriously and you've gone on your own journey with it. Um, and for our listeners, the following may contain strong language and you will enjoy it. <laughs> yes, so, thank you. I didn't ask that in advance. I'm glad to know we can use strong language. You can use a little more helpful. And I think yeah. we need to, because I think it's such an effective discussion that you have mm-hmm. that a lot of companies aren't so blunt about. Can you talk about the rule that you've instituted at your company? Uh, so I'm not sure I've instituted so much as embraced it, but yeah. um, it is this idea. Um, it's very, we spent a lot of time. It's, we've spent, you know, time and hours with very complicated algorithms and so forth to come up with this. But our, um, really our filter is, uh, a no asshole rule. Um, and we really feel life is too short, and we work too hard to work with and spend our time with assholes. So um, we're now 750 people strong, and I, I can't sit here and say we're 100%, 750 for 750, <laughs> but we're hoping we're pretty close, um, and certainly the vast majority. So, and it's honestly, it just it, it comes down to how you want to treat and how you want to be treated, right? right? And it just it simplifies it in a way that people can understand it and embrace it, and it's also. And, you know, we're also not curing cancer here, right? So we're not, we don't have, and I I think there's something actually really healthy to recognize that amongst what your business is and say, we can work really hard. We can, you know, there's stress and there's all these different things, but you can also not take yourself too seriously and have some fun while doing it. And I think that's okay. And part of that, that no asshole rule kind of fits with that, right? Because it generally can, you know, bring a smile when people are saying it. And it's something that's just a little more a relaxed way of kind of really trumpeting your culture. Yeah. Well, and the, what was cool to me, and, and, and folks, if folks want to Google Bill and, um, and then Disruptor HR, uh, you'll see the No Asshole Rule video that you did. Um, and when, when I was watching that, um, what struck me too, of course, was the emphasis on it's got to be top to bottom, right? Because you can't be an asshole while telling somebody not to be an asshole, right? For, to be quite frank, um, and I love that. And then it, it therefore holds everybody accountable, whether you're talking about not being an asshole or just doing your job. Yeah, no, I think it actually starts. I totally agree in that kind of you hear like the inverted org chart. So, mm. but again, this is really our business. So I could spend my entire week out with customers. I'd love to do that, that would be great. I'd never get to see all of our customers. So who sees our customers every day? Our truck drivers, they do. So they gotta feel like they're very empowered because they're incredibly important to what we're doing. And if you align things that way, then my job is to support them, not the other way around. And I think when you have that kind of, there's a word I wanna use, I struggle to use it though, it's this, I was gonna say this humble approach, 
The reason I struggle to use it is when you use the word humble, you're not being humble, right? So it's like that kind <laughs> of so catch too, right? It's yeah, the humble brag. Coming. Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. So trying to avoid that. Um, but I do think there is a way you can kind of set your company up and your people up and your organization up to make sure everybody knows that they matter and they're important because we're all you know pulling in the same direction here. And if you get that, it can hopefully be something pretty powerful. Nice. And there's a lot to drill down on that. So, I mean, let's start with you know, the no asshole rule, which is, I think, one of the best descriptors I've it's ever heard for wonderful. because it, 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 different Ugh. companies come up with all types of flowery language to basically get to that point. Um, but it's one thing to say, you know, we don't want people that are going to be jerks around here. And another thing to be able to implement, how do you go about doing that? So how does that happen at Grant State Wholesalers? What are you doing to make sure that you're weeding out folks either during the interview process or shortly thereafter to make sure you don't have toxic employees on board? Yeah. So on the interview process and on the kind of orientation and onboarding, Matt, that kind of becomes, you hope you get it on the interview process. You hope right. it becomes clear and say that person's just not going to fit. But, uh, you know, obviously people come through who didn't fit your culture. What is good, though, if you have a vibrant culture and you live it every day, it becomes pretty apparent when someone doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, they don't belong here. He or she just doesn't. And that's okay. It's like, this isn't, but this isn't the place for you. And that, if you do it and it builds on itself, you almost become self-selecting. Either they leave or your own people are like, that person doesn't really belong here. Mm. They don't like what we're doing here. They don't like the pace we're moving at. They don't like how we treat our people. So I think on the selection process, it kind of works itself out that way. It becomes self-fulfilling if you're building it. And the thing I would say about building it and maintaining it is you have to do it when no one's watching. That's the big thing, right? When no one's, when because anybody can do it at an annual meeting. Anybody can do it when they're listing off their core values. Anybody can do it sitting here talking to people. Mm-hmm. It's when you live it when no one's watching. And when I believe if you do that the right way, your people see that and then it's coming upon them to do it the right way and it mm. feeds on itself. And hopefully this is all building to what we're trying to build at the company now is this idea of this durable growth engine for our people. And if we're able to build this durable growth engine, we really feel everything else comes from it. So this, and that's what I mean. It's not like, you know, we talk about sales all the time and budgets and margins and expenses, all that we're in business. This is what we do. However, we think if we focus on this durable growth engine for our people, all the other metrics and numbers you're searching for will come 100% because your people are going to be working that much harder to drive those results that matter to every business. The other thing I wanted to explore with you is you mentioned empowerment, which again, mm. is one of those terms you hear a lot of companies throw around, but you have done a lot to actually make that a reality. Um, so, and it's not an easy thing to do when you're a large organization, say 750 folks spread out across New England, many different locations. They're not all under the same roof. So how do you, one, go about empowering your people and two, how do you make sure your culture stays whole when you're so spread out. Sure. I, so I'll answer that in two ways, but probably inverted. I'll start with kind of how we, I'll come back to the, mm-hmm. the former piece, but as far as how we get the word out there and live the culture, we do it in a couple different ways. We have quarterly meetings, which are exactly as they sound, which is myself and the COO of the company and the CFO of the company are out every quarter and visit every branch. And we go and show you the entire company sales. 
we show you your sales, and then we talk about what's important and what we're working on, and we do that every single quarter. So that's one way to get out there and talk to people. And is that a one-way street, or is that a two-way street in it, communication? It's a perfect question. It's very much a monologue, because it's in the middle of the day, we're sharing information. What we were missing was, to your point, we were missing the dialogue, and so we started another thing on top of that, and that's this idea of town halls. So mm. what I do is I go out at least once a month to, to a branch, we close the branch at 4.30, we bring in dinner, we pay people for their time, and in advance, I ask you a few questions. I said, if you own the company tomorrow, what would you change? If you had a million dollars, how would you invest it? What's working and what isn't? And then we have that conversation amongst the branch, just sitting there at the counter, having pizza, talking one night. Someone takes notes, then the notes come to me, and I highlight things that need to be followed up in red. It goes to the leadership team. And if you're part of the leadership team and your area is highlighted in red, you it's incumbent upon you to reach back out to that branch and have a conversation with them. So here's where it gets really powerful. When I'm in um, Newport, Vermont, having a town hall with the group up there, and the next day the notes come out, and that counter person, she's standing there on the counter in Newport, and her phone rings, and it's the head of pricing back in Concord who said, hey, I saw the notes from the town hall last night, and you asked why we code our, our products this way. This is why, right? And that's a super powerful communication loop where people feel they're being heard. And that's the whole thing with this. It's not a democracy, and it's not like, well, I said that, so now it's going to happen. Mm. But what it is is I said it. I was heard, and they mm -hmm. followed up with me. And I don't even necessarily agree with the way they still do the products, but now mm -hmm. I understand why. Right. And if you can do that, so it takes a lot of time on the road and a lot of time out there with people, but if you can do that, I think it can become really kind of self-fulfilling, that there's this communication loop and people feel a part of it. Um, so I think that matters, and that's how we kind of build that culture. And we do an annual meeting, we do service awards, we do a core value where it's the kind of living our core values every year. But I really think it's the day-to-day -day where those quarterly meetings happen or those town hall meetings happen or just today on my way to visit you guys, just stopping and popping in a branch and hey, I'm in the area, How what's going on, how you doing? And if you do that enough, no one's worried. It's not like a white glove test. Like, oh, oh, hey, Bill. I'm like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> right? Which is great. Like, I, I prefer it that way. I love that. So that's kind of how we build a culture. When you talked about the, the first part of your question about building that, right? The empowerment. Yeah. Right. Mm. So we started <clears throat> probably seven or eight years ago. Now, I think like all of us, we lose like two or three years with COVID. So forgive me, my timeline's not exactly <laughs> yeah, right. right. That was uh, 15 time years ago. Very <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Um, we started to open our own branches and we were successful with it. So I'll give you the business model for it. So I'll, I do these, we do these town hall dinners. We also do customer dinners, which are very similar. Go into a market with a group of customers, have dinner, what's working, what's not, thank you for your business. And one of the things we ask them is, is there an area that a town you're in or you're, that you see that we could be, that you'd like to see us in? And so now we have a list of over 40 locations in New England and upstate New York that our customers have said, we'd like to see you in this town. Now we're at a point where we've gotten good enough, we'll open five or six branches a year and we can, the business case for it is it's customer driven. We'll, by the time we get a key, the keys to a location, we can open it in about six weeks and we can get them profitable in about 12 months. Now that's the business case for it. And that's wonderful. Here's the culture case for it. Every one of those branches needs a leader. Every one of those branches needs someone to step on and step up into their location. So I'll give you a really good example. Um, I was in doing a uh, town hall meeting in our Barry Vermont branch. They're saying, hey, we'd like, you know, where should we go? And the, the feedback I kept hearing was Morrisville. 
Morrisville, Morrisville, Morrisville. I said, okay. Um, I then did a customer dinner in Burlington, Vermont. And I said, hey, guys, where's the said, Like, oh, you got to go to Mo Vegas, man. I'm like, Vegas? I'm, like, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, Excuse Mo me? Vegas, it's blowing up. <laughs> so I got into my car and Googled Morrisville, Vermont, because I've never heard of Morrisville. I hadn't heard of it, right? right? Which right. you may or may not have. You've heard no, of No, I lived in Vermont for a while. And you didn't know Morrisville. Okay. I did know Morrisville. Well, here we go. Do you know Stowe? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So our customers don't live in Stowe. They work in Stowe. They live in Morrisville. Okay. Now, that same exact to your empowerment question, the inside salesperson in Barry who recommended Morrisville, his name's Reggie. Reggie's from Morrisville. Now, Reggie's now leading our branch in Morrisville. And it's called the Granite Group, but it should be called Reggie's Supply House. <laughs> right? Because they all know him and it's his town. And Reggie's so, awesome. so proud of what he's done. I'm so proud of mm. what he's done there. He's killed it. He's up, you know, he's doubled the business in just a few years. It's been amazing. But it gave Reggie an opportunity to move from inside in Barry to managing his own branch and really running his own supply house, which is super powerful. Now we needed someone to step up into Reggie's role in Barry. And now that's empowerment for them. So if you oh, keep having yeah. these levels, mm -hmm. you're gonna continue to compound upon this, hopefully this durable growth engine where people feel they have a path for their career. And, and the final point I'll make on that is we talk a lot internally and say, listen, Career Path of the Granite Group is a two-way street. We, if you're looking for something, raise your hand, let us know. It's also the other side of that street is incumbent upon us to grow it to a point where you have those opportunities to move on and move up. Mm -hmm. And just a final point on that, when you talked about you know the self-fulfilling, self-selecting culture, mm -hmm. if that turns people off, well, then they're probably not gonna, they're not gonna be comfortable here. But if you attract people who wanna grow, that feeds on itself. And you're gonna get more people like there say, where's my branch? Where's my opportunity to grow? Yep. What are you opening for me? And if you have that two-way street, we hope it can be something pretty powerful. Nice, nice. We'll be right back. McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. All right, we are back with the CEO of the Granite Group, Bill. Uh, Bill, let's, um, I want to maybe dig into, we talked kind of about the, you know, the culture at the Granite Group, um, but dig into your teams a little bit. I'm kind of a, a semantics guy sometimes. So you had mentioned truck drivers, right? You have branches where folks are running those. Um, what are the, what are the different roles that your, your team members hold? And I'm also curious about training. So if I'm coming to, you know, if I have a certain skill set or an interest and I'm coming to the Granite Group, um, do I have a certain level of training in, in this type of, these type of supplies? Are you giving me that? Are you giving me different types of training in order to, to make me successful right out of the gate? What does that look like for staff training and, and involvement too? I'm smiling about the training question because at these town halls we were discussing, that's the number one feedback we mm. get. We want more training. But I just in the last year, I started to break it down. I said, okay, I'm going to ask you, what does training mean to you? Right. You have to pick one of three right. things. It's yeah. product training, which is super important in our mm -hmm. world of, you know, very diverse product group. Is it sales training, mm -hmm. right? Kind of that, or is it operations training, how to work systems and so forth? Every time we do it, we get a different number one. Everybody's, <laughs> oh. and, which just speaks to how complex the issue yeah. is, right? But, right. but that, right. while it is complex, you can't just say, well, forget it. It's too hard. We're not going to do it, right? Yeah. So 
to do the training, we do it in a couple different ways, Nathan. So one is, if you came, we have a trainee program mm -hmm. where we're bringing six to eight trainees in a year. And where you don't need to know anything more than how to flush a toilet. We'll teach you everything. <laughs> I love that. Um, but they're starting in the warehouse and then mm -hmm. moving around our company. And that trainee program has been the fuel that allowed us to open five or six branches a year. Because without these new people coming in, you'd never have that. So the trainee program. But then a couple of years ago, it became pretty clear to us that if we just had that path, we were missing an entire other path. And that was someone who just came to work with us out of high school or what have you. Yeah. And now they're in their early 20s. They built this career and they're like, well, what about me? I didn't get to go into the trainee program, but I've, I've got a career, I've got aspirations. So we launched uh, TGGU, which is an internal Granite Group University leadership cool. development program. Nice. Where we put them through a uh, 12 month, once a month, they come out of the branch into this um, classroom setting and work on a project throughout the year. Um, and together that class kind of graduates and some of our other leaders, like uh, our head of purchasing now, she came out of um, one of the first TGGU classes. So you've seen this kind of that path for people to come through. Um, so that all said, circling back, that training piece is an enormous piece of our business. And we're just now launching our newly relaunched um, training program, which is all, it's actually built by two people on our people team who, they're younger, they completely understand how people of a younger generation want to digest and learn. Mm. And so all of the videos in the entire thing are two to three minutes long. You take them when you want, on your phone, on your computer, yep. at the weekend, what yep. have you. Very digestible, very quick, but it goes back to that two-way street. If you're like, hey, I'm in inside sales and I want to become a branch manager, what do I need to do? Right. Well, here's a list. And did oh. you do it? And if you didn't, okay. But if you did, here's some opportunities for you. So mm -hmm. I think that... Um, I, the last thing I'll say on training is I feel like it's the unplowed field. You never get there. You're okay. never done. Right. right? You're never like, oh, right. we have training. You're like, no, you don't. If then you're lying to yourself, right? Because <laughs> if you think you checked we the box. We the training. Yeah. If you think you checked the box, you got a lot more work to do. So we're constantly iterating on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, we'll never get there either. But I think providing your people as many opportunities as possible to digest that training in the way that works best for them we think gives us the greatest chance for success. Yeah, well, and I think the most important thing there is that you're focused on it and there's lines of communication around it. So you're, it's always in the conversation, yes. in the mix, and that's really important. Yeah, nice. well, it circles back to listening to them. I mean, they're, they're, they're the most important right. people in the company and they're right. telling us training matters, then we better get it figured out yeah. and get something, right? So <laughs> right. that's certainly the focus. Exactly. You talked about service being a differentiator, mm -hmm. you know, um, and there are a lot of companies that want to claim that, but I mean, it's obviously something that you pay close attention to. So can you talk to us about what does the grant group service look like? What does delivering good service mean for your organization? Yeah, I would say a couple things there. One, it's, it's some, some sounding, you know, awfully trite, but the customer's always right, period. So you have to figure out that start there. And then there's a word we use internally, unapologetically and it's hustle you gotta mm. hustle mm. and you know our listen every strategy is trade-offs right and and there's a lot of companies that have really impressive logistics and operational excellence that i admire that's not us okay what we are though is if you call matt if you call me at two o'clock in the afternoon and say i need this water heater here the answer you get is yes and we'd figure out how to do it now, we might, you might drive by two other branches that could have done it more efficiently or picked up a phone and thought it through, but the answer was yes. And if we make a mistake, we're going to fix it fast for you. And the whole idea there is you might make a mistake too, but remember, the vast majority of our business is B2B. 
So the key thing is your customer can't see behind the curtain. Mm. They can't know the disaster it took to get that tub there that morning on time because someone forgot something, there was a missing piece, we made it happen. And that's what you do, you make it happen. And the last piece on that that culturally that I think is super important, when you're as spread out as we are and you're also selling your service, a really big component we believe is if somebody makes a mistake while trying to do the right thing, you can't take their head off. Because if you do, they'll never try again. And then you've lost which make you spe- what makes you special. Yeah. When someone makes a mistake, you say, well, why did you do that? Like, well, I was, thought I was doing the right thing, but it turns out I was wrong. I was like, all right, well, don't do that again, and let's keep moving. And if you have that, I think it empowers your people to feel they have a real skin in the game to service the customer the way they think is right. And if yeah. you have that, in this, uh, you know, embracing the fact that everyone does it a little differently, are we maybe leaving a little money on the table when we're not as efficient as we otherwise could be? Maybe. But do we think that more than makes up for it by our customers giving us the repeat business and the chance to continue to service them? We think it does. Yeah. We hope it does. Yeah. Well, and you said it right in there in talking about that. It's the empowerment piece, right? 100%. Like if you empower somebody to make a decision that they obviously want to make a decision that benefits the company, uh, then it's going to work out in the end. And if for some reason it didn't, it wasn't the right decision in that moment, you can, it, it's a learning moment. Exactly. Right? Right. And then they know for next time. Exactly. And there if you is. let them know like, all right, well, let's not try this again. And you were trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Let's move on. Right. That gives them the feeling that they can do whatever they need to do to service their customer. And I, I, I believe that customers appreciate that. Oh, I'm, I, I know. I hope do. so. <laughs> Very nice. Um, do you mind digging in for a little bit for us? Um, of course we had this thing called the pandemic the last few years, but, um, the, the evolution of, of the HVAC plumbing supply industry um, from when your you know your dad owned it in the in the seventies to now um, obviously we've had some hiccups with with the last few years but what are some of the evolutions that you're seeing in the products in the supply and in, in how uh, you know the the manufacturers are doing business differently and how that's affecting you I'm curious about. That. Yeah, I would. That's interesting. So plumbing doesn't change a whole lot. Plumbing's mm-hmm. gravity, right. right? It's not. There's not a lot really to it. Um, the shit goes down. The shit goes downhill. Down. There's not really it. That's about all I could tell you on that. Um, the, but it's interesting you brought the HVAC space because that's changing drastically and mm. rapidly, right? So. Mm-hmm. You know, many of us, in the, certainly in New England, we had a boiler in our basement and a thermostat on our wall, yep. and that was it, right? Yep. Um, now things are changing so rapidly when you look at, you know, the fossil fuels and the electrification and renewables and all those things. And, you know, here we are in a very, you know, everything we've talked about, very old and seemingly uh, unchanging business. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm actually excited because we sit at the fulcrum of a lot of these changes that are going on. You know, from custom comfort, this idea that you walk into a room and you want it one temperature and your significant other wants it another. Now, all of us who are happily married know which one, which temperature <laughs> that would go to. But um, there is that custom comfort that's yeah. happening, coupled with this, you know, cool. taking fossil fuels out and mm-hmm. possibly replacing them with electric. And a lot of areas in New England, towns, cities, states are leading that nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're seeing that shift in how people heat and cool their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the massive technological advances that have happened in that space. So, you know, a lot of people think of our customers, oh, they're very blue collar, they probably didn't go to school, like these very, 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 I think, tired and wrong mm-hmm. perceptions of yeah. our customer oh, base. Right. There's some of the sharper techni- technical people you'll ever meet, and they need to be, because, I mean, when you think now of these Wi-Fi-enabled systems that oh, are God. so much more complex mm-hmm. than, so I think there's that constant evolution on the technology side. That circles back, interestingly, to your comment about training, 
that's where our people need to constantly be trained on what's coming so they can train their customers because ultimately, again, the homeowner is now exponentially more informed mm-hmm. because of the internet and because of, so our customers can't walk in anymore and say, oh, you need a new boiler, here's the thing, call me when you're ready. <laughs> customers are, wait a minute, uh, what is the BTU? What's the efficiencies? What are my mm-hmm. rebates? They're smarter and they should be. That means our customers need to be smarter. That means we need to be smarter as our manufacturers are constantly innovating with this new technology. Yeah, interesting. Um, one thing that I hear all, all the time lately about is like the mini splits, mm. right? And I, I, you know, all the time. I mean, you know, I'm looking at one right now. Mike's got one here, one in the other room. Um, it, it, like, is that just is that a relatively new technology that's come about and and obviously has a place in you know older buildings and things like sure. that that don't have or or is that one of those innovations that's come? So about? we're now we're going into the area where I'm like any sort of product stuff. I'm right. not it's, my it's area of expertise. Yeah, just to be clear, all right. Understood. So we're going to keep this okay. relatively simple because yeah. um, it's all I can Thank do. God, um, exactly. <laughs> it's all I can take. Um, <laughs> no. So so when you're talking about the mini split technology, anything we think hmm. is cool or new, yeah, was in Europe ten years ago. Asia 20 years it's ago. True. All right. It's true. Yeah, so it's true. you go to Asia, it's all mini split yeah. systems. So it's just, it's been, you know, they call it Mitsubishi and others um, in the mini split game call themselves like, you know, the, the 20 year overnight success story. Cause they've been at it for a long time <laughs> and it took a long time to get the, really to get the engagement from the customer base mm. where we live in new England is a uniquely perfect market for mini splits. And I'll explain why here where we are today is a good example you have buildings that all have heat. You can't live in New England, certainly Northern New England without heat. You can live without AC. Now, many, 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 the majority of homes were built without AC. Now, when people are looking for that or expecting that, these mini splits provide spot heating and cooling Mm. into these, into a studio or into a kitchen or into one bedroom or what have you. So we're able to retrofit into these markets. Now, add on to that the electrification and how clean it is and Mm -hmm. rebatable it is all of those things have really drived it. So just to put it in perspective, we've been a, we talked about plumbing, we've been a Kohler distributor for, since the company started almost, right? Wow. So, um, and Kohler was our largest line since forever. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitsubishi passed it uh, two or three years ago and we'll never see it again. Wow. It's grown that exponentially. Wow. So um, huh. it is definitely in an area, in a business that does, again, sensing a theme here, in a business that seemingly doesn't change a lot, when you get under the rock, there actually is a pretty fair amount of change. Which is exciting. That's kind of the stuff yeah. that keeps you focused and keeps you interested. Right, right, and keeps you training. Hopefully, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So we had started off talking about uh, the fact that you're a third generation business, and you know, it, it, the statistics bear out that the the further you go along with the generations, the fewer businesses make that leap. You know. You, your company was a little, you know, different in that two of the generations started the company. Correct. So you got to be the guinea pig. Um, <laughs> but can you talk about what that transition was like? You touched a bit uh, on it. And what was it like as you started to grow into the role of, of taking up the, the main leadership of the company? You know, did, did your father make room for you? Did you have to take mm. some ground? Was there some serious discussions? Like, how did that happen as, as, as you started to realize this is what I want to do. And then that, you know, it's one thing to bring the next generation on. It's another to make room for them. Sure. Totally. No, it's a really, really good question. And actually the credit for all this goes to my dad because he had the, he knew that I was coming into the business and had an opportunity to move on and move up. And he gave me the space to do that, which is 
super in hindsight. I don't, I don't, I didn't appreciate it then to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I do now that I see it, you know, sitting in a meeting with his son running a meeting and he's ran that meeting. He could do it with his eyes closed. He's done it right. But he's still there and giving me the space to do that. Now we got lucky. My dad also had uh, business interest outside of the Granite Group. So that kept his plate full enough that allowed me to kind of move on and move up. But we said all along that if we did it right, he and I, um, it would be seamless and there'd be no fanfare. It would just be like, oh yeah, we, this is obvious mm-hmm. that this was going to happen. That was always our goal. And I, listen, I, I was super lucky. As I mentioned, I'm the only son and my dad and I were super close, are super close. Um, I was one of the greatest gifts I've been given in life was to spend the last 20 plus years working with him and building that, you know, and it, spending time together that we just otherwise wouldn't have had. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came to a point to kind of make the transition official, we said, I mean, this is how we did it. We There were two other people, um, one who was going to be moved up, a, guy, a gentleman who's now our president, Chris Ploss, was going to become our chief operating officer. Another uh, gentleman, Mike Kelly, was going to be our senior VP of business development. What we did was we sent an email out, I sent an email out, trumpeting Chris and Mike, and then just attached an org chart. And if you clicked on the org chart, you saw Kevin moved to chairman and Bill moved to CEO, but we didn't make a big deal of it because it's privately held. Like we can call ourselves whatever we want, right? This shouldn't be about <laughs> us. It should be about them, right? So we made it about them and kind of made it somewhat hopefully seamless. Um, and it worked. And listen, my, you know, to, if anyone tells you their family doesn't have any issues, get it, stay away from that. Right? They're the biggest <laughs> ones that we're right. That's the biggest <laughs> exactly. issue. Exactly. So um, listen, every family's got their stuff. Um, but I was super lucky. And, that, and the credit for all of that, all of it goes to my dad because he really had, you know, both the vision, but also the patience um, to kind of step back and let me step in and we all know countless businesses where, unfortunately, that generation doesn't do that, and it stifles that next generation. And he really gave me the chance to kind of flourish, which is – that's why the credit goes to him. And personally or professionally or both, what, what's the most valuable lesson that you learned from your dad? Well, that's a good one. Um, well, I mean, per- everything personally. I mean, because he was – listen, when I was growing up, he was my hero, right? So that was definitely um, – and I think, you know, what I – when I look at a, you know, you talk about a well-balanced company, um, has three parts of the triangle. They have uh, results, they cover relationships, and they have process. So he is completely results-oriented, knew exactly, knew exactly where he wanted to get and how to get there. I'm very much more relationship-focused on with customers and with our people. We're both allergic to process. So they, we, we're like, oh, God, like, we need a little help there. Um, but when I look at what the company is today, we've been able to build upon what he put in place. And it really was, he built the platform. He did the hard work. You know, there, there's a term, it's one of our core values, but there's a term often used in business today, which I think is one of the more overused terms, which is entrepreneurial. Mm. A lot of people claim to be entrepreneurial. I'm not. Right, unless you put your own money at stake and get and buy into something, something you two could certainly, uh, based upon which you, you are entrepreneurs. I'm not. My dad was when you start something like that and really build it. That's I think the the heaviest lift, the hardest mm-hmm. part. Those of us who get to come after are really just kind of building upon what was already there. The hard work I think that entrepreneurs do is is the real work. The rest of us are just kind of building upon that original work. And so. What's in the future here? Where, where are you hoping to take the Granite Group and both as a business and then as the future of your own future, taking a look at how things might transition? Yeah, I think for us, it's, you know, continue the path we're on. We're, we're looking to continue to grow the business. We're opening, you know, we're up to 55 branches, almost 55 branches across New England. 
Um, we've invested in our distribution center, which is at the airport in Londonderry, where we, we are going to double the capacity of that space. So double the ability of it to service. Now, if you double 55, you can do the math, right? That can get pretty big, pretty quick. And if you're opening five or six a year, we think we can expand, continue to expand out of New England. Um, mm -hmm. We're not going north. We're not going to Canada. We're not going to Portugal. <laughs> uh, so north and east are out. So we got to go south and west. But there's a lot of territory those ways. So, you know, I think, Matt, honestly, more we think more of what we're doing mm -hmm. because we're, we like what we're doing. We like the team we have. Mm. And here's the cool part. We've been super fortunate um, that we've been able to, you know, in the last five years, we've doubled the size of the business, which is awesome. Um, the cool part is, and I feel this and I believe our people feel this, we're just getting started. That's the best part. We really feel we're just getting started and have a lot of runway ahead of us to really continue to build this with the great people we already have. Well, congratulations on the dynamic business that you've continued oh, to build. You. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing your story with us and our listeners today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was wonderful. It's our pleasure. Bill Condren is Chief Executive Officer of the Granite Group. Thank you so much. Thank you both very much. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group. Granite Media Group.